Hey everyone, welcome to the Career Switcher Podcast, the show that explores the fascinating journeys of everyday people who took the leap, flipped the script, and reinvented their careers to build the life they always wanted. I'm your host, Gil Shu, and today we're delving into the remarkable journey of my friend, Julian Jirai. Growing up in Trinidad, Julian went to university to study mechanical engineering with the goal of joining the island's thriving oil and gas industry. At just 20 years old, he became a drilling engineer working on remote oil rigs in the middle of the Caribbean. The kind of thing that you would see, like you're just <clears throat> standing on a rig and you look down and you're seeing like shocks. It's mind blowing. You're taking a run on a heli on a helipad. However, when oil prices plummeted around 2015, Julian was forced to explore alternative career paths within the energy sector. But despite securing a position as a power engineer at a major energy company, Julian soon realized that the slow-moving and bureaucratic environment was not conducive to his ambitious nature. The work was boring, man. Like, it was the same day over and over. <laughs> like, it was hella boring compared to, like, being offshore. Frustrated by office politics and mundane tasks, he became dead set on finding something more fulfilling. So in 2017, he took a leap of faith and moved to New York City to study software engineering. And within a short span of six months, he landed a role as a software developer at one of the fastest growing tech companies in the US. Since then, Julian has become an expert in his field and considers his career switch the best decision he's ever made. Join us as we explore Julian's inspiring journey of resilience, ambition, and the pursuit of fulfillment. Let's get started. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, so for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do for work? So I'm a software engineer. Uh, I work at a tech company in, based in Boston that, uh, that makes property management software. Very cool. And where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. It's an island in the Caribbean. Nice. Good weather there, I'm sure. Oh, the best. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what about when you were younger? Did you know what you wanted to be when you were growing up? I think as a child, I didn't really know what I wanted to be. But as I went through schooling, um, particularly A-levels, which is like, I guess, grade 12 in the U.S. Um, and even slightly before that, when physics got introduced as a subject. Mm. I developed a, a strong affinity for physics, like the, the mechanics part, especially. And Trinidad being a very oil and gas centered nation, that was the leading industry of the country. So there's a lot of interest in subdomains within oil and gas. And the one that I was really interested in is a, uh, an area called drilling engineering. Okay. And for some reason, as a, as a young, let's say late teens, mid teens, that was something that I really wanted to pursue. Interesting. And, and what does a drill engineer do? So I'm not sure how familiar you are with like the oil and gas extraction, particularly like in the middle of the ocean, like you, you, there's nothing there. You just deploy this sort of mosquito looking like a mosquito, like just in the middle of the, the ocean that uh -huh. with a big string just going down deep into the earth uh, to extract oil. But there's so much conditions that you have to factor in when you're drilling as when the string being like a drill pipe mm -hmm. and there's a drill bit at the end of the drill pipe, but like a drill that you, you know, drill into like plywood with, but it just keeps stringing it along. 
so a drilling engineer basically does all the mechanics. It looks at the type of soil, how much force is required, where the, where, where the well is, and it essentially plans from a mechanical engineering point of view, like how are you going to drill and tweak parameters in place to get to your final destination. Oh, interesting. So is this things that are happening in real time or are these things that are the engineer's responsibility is like to plan it out? So you come up with what, what it was called like a drill plan, like how, how many miles of like drill pipe that you need, because it's like really deep. What is the composition of like the drilling mud, which is like the drilling fluid, you drilling generally. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of different conditions, but you come up with a general plan, all the equipment, what you need, staff possibly. And then you also are there because sometimes when you're drilling, your drill bit could break off and fall into the hole. And then you need a way to like go hundreds of maybe even thousands of feet down to pull out something and keep continuing. So like there's a lot of dynamic behavior that can happen offshore. Oh, very cool. So you wanted to be a drill engineer growing up. Um, and you went to university, is that what you studied? Yeah. So I went to the university of the West Indies. So that's the university in Trinidad and Tobago. There I did a mechanical engineering. Okay. And, um, what was your experience like, uh, studying for mechanical engineering or just college in general? Uh, mechanical engineering was hard. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of, a lot of hours of no sleep, a lot of, uh, monster energy drinks. (laughs) it was but it was fun it was fun mostly because of the people that i met there i met my wife there because we both did mechanical engineering but the program itself i think it had a lot to be desired not necessarily the fault of the, the the syllabus or anything it's just there was an emphasis on research where most people at that time and even even to the today they lack a pragmatic application of the theory. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, you go through a mechanical engineering degree, it, it trains you to do a master's and then put it into a PhD. And so it's, it's very like math heavy, which is fine, but there was very, and then there were some courses that were very uh, practical, but majority was uh, gearing toward research. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty common thing for most disciplines where a university will lean towards the academic front and will kind of, I don't know if detach or decouple is too strong of a word where it's, they kind of lose the tangibility to like the real world applications. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's, I think that's pretty common, but that's, I think that's interesting that that was also true for the drilling industry and mechanical engineering and that kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, coming out of college, uh, studying mechanical engineering, were you able to get a job in that industry? Were you able to get something in the oil and gas industry? So I did, I, I got something, um, I worked at UG for a while. It's a, a company based in Texas. I, I got through as a drilling intern actually. So very similar to what I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and that was an amazing experience. I got to go offshore, gain a lot of weight. Cause I'm not sure if you ever heard, but like when you like, they feed you well. On those rigs. On the rigs? Man, on the rigs. Do they have like a kitchen or a cafeteria or something? Operations don't stop, right? So to rent a rig is like hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. So they want you working constantly. So they have like night shifts and day shifts. So like the canteen has to be stocked to accommodate the shift cycling between day and night. Yeah. So, you know, you you wake up like nine o'clock, like 
I wonder what the canteen has. Oh, freshly made brownies. Nice. Yeah. Like steak. Nice. 10 o'clock in the night. Nice. We're going for it. Lobster. Yeah, we'll go for it too. <laughs> and so to get offshore, get on the rigs, you need to go on a helicopter. Uh-huh. And it's like on the plane where they have an estimate of your weight, particularly your baggage. You have to weigh yourself. And I gained 10 pounds in two weeks. Wow. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Crazy. And, um, you know, for, for myself and other people that may not be that familiar with rigs, like, like how many people like are on a rig and are you like one of, you must be one of the youngest people that were there. I, I probably was. Yeah. Um, cause most of them are like either the average d- demographic I would say is about like maybe between 45 and like 55. Oh, okay. So you're super young. I'm very young. Yeah. Uh, no. So the rig that I went on, there are different sizes of rigs too. Um, this was like a, like a, I'd say like a medium to small and it had maybe like about, this is 60 people. Okay. Oh, that's a pretty good size. Especially like you're in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. Yeah. There's a lot of activity. Okay. How long did you spend like in that industry for oil and gas or being a drilling engineer? I think about like a year and then oil prices took a tank and I had to find something else. Um, but luckily I quickly recovered and I, but I ended up moving towards the power industry, which kind of worked out well because that's what I specialize in, in my degree, um, like power engineering, that's just power engineering is essentially like the process of taking a fuel source and converting it into electricity. So like all the mechanics, all the thermodynamics that goes into that process. Um, so it kind of, it kind of fit in well. I see. Uh, so I did that for about three years. Got it. And what are some things that you liked or disliked about those jobs in oil and energy? I'll talk about the two industries because for, for oil and gas, the repair was really good. Environment was like phenomenal in terms of the kind of things that you would see. Like you're just <clears throat> standing on a rig and you look down and you're seeing like shocks. It's mind blowing. You're taking a run on a heli, on a helipad. Yeah. Um, the people like so many, so many interesting stories. Like people are from like all over the world, like just coming on this one thing to, you know, <laughs> to exploit the planet. <laughs> sure. Um, what I liked about the power generation is like, it's very stable. Yeah. Like you always need power. It's not that it's not affected by commodity prices, uh, as oil and gas is. Um, so revenue for the company is relatively stable and that translates to like job security. Uh, the job is also very, very to say like it's predictable mm-hmm. everything runs up on this is like a failure but it's relatively predictable the pay was okay it was not as good as oil and gas but it was pretty comfortable um sure but you're not out in the middle of the ocean doing that job either yes yeah, so the risk is definitely low so now onto dislikes the risk is a big one for oil and gas like yeah. you you could die like not even like there was a moment where there's a area of the rig where they essentially put the drill pipe down in a hole. Mm-hmm. They use like like a, a torque wrench, which is like an automated device to like screw on two pieces of pipe. Mm. While that's going on, you just kind of walk behind some doors just in case something happens. And one day that was at, like you were doing that and all you hear was this loud bang. And like the thing just exploded. <laughs> and if someone were in that area at that time, like lost a head, lost a limb, die instantly and it's a very common and imagine you have like a piece of pipe that's about maybe like five foot 
in diameter, mm. but it's tall like a seven story building and it's just passing like feet from you, like on a crane. Yeah. Like it's it's insane on a very small type of platform. Um so risk is very high there. I get again commodity prices affect your job security quite a lot. And you can you can meet some real some real uh, complicated people with some complex like they are depending on what side of the industry you are so in oil and gas it's separated from like the production side and the service side so production typically means like for example exxon mobile they'll be like a production company they hire the rigs they hire the staff to and they use the end product a service side would be something like Halliburton, where they provide all the auxiliaries all the staffing for like running the auxiliary services. And then you have a lot more people, the roughnecks that are actually on the floor that do the manual labor. And I'm sure, you know, like I work within any industry, you have different tiers, sure. different philosophies, and it can get real backward. The load that you go very fast, <laughs> like yeah, very, uh, very toxic. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it's a, you know, it takes a certain amount, a certain type of person yeah. to be out there in the ocean, especially if you want to make that your career. Um, you spent a, a year in there, but I think it'd be pretty interesting if you spent 20 years out there. Yeah, these men, these men are hardened, like tough. Yeah, tough Julian. Yeah. And what about the energy side? What are some of the things that you disliked? The work was boring, man. Like it was the same day over and over. <laughs> like yeah it was hella boring compared to like being offshore um but i meant predictability as well the management was very toxic it was a very um uh, how to say like very political environment like mm. you you had to form alliances if you wanted to move up the career growth was very limited salary growth was very limited but mostly mostly for me the work was just mind-numbingly boring and night shifts too. That was a big one for me. Night shifts. So, so I, I used to work a lot of night shifts and that took a toll physically and mentally on me. Like um, I had a lot of weight loss, acid reflux, random things just started to happen. <laughs> like when you, when your body is supposed to sleep and it's not, things just randomly start happening to you. And like, wait, I'm, less, I'm not even 30 yet. Why, why am I getting these things? Do you think that part of your, um, you know, feelings of, of boredom or like dissatisfaction with the work was just because like you were sort of a young person in a, I don't know, like a, in an industry that favors like older people? It could 100% be, it could be just a young, arrogant, young whippersnapper just want to go in with my degree and change the world. And, oh no, why these people are so resistant? They could, there, there probably, there definitely was some aspect of that, but I also saw the frustrations in these senior employees. You know, from what I understand, it's, it is a pretty common feeling amongst well-established, really mature industries that, you know, basically have no fear of becoming extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, that the people there, the people that end up staying are the ones that get entrenched in the, in the politics and like know how to kind of put themselves forward and maybe put other people's backwards and like in this type of thing. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting that you were in that career for three years at a, at a young age. So I'm curious then, like, you know, we're here on a show called Career Switchers. So, you know, from there, you know, you're thinking about where you might go next. I'm, I'm curious, like, w- was there a moment while you were working in the energy sector that you felt like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore? So there, there wasn't a moment where the last straw was placed on the camel back and I was like, I can't take it. But there was a task assigned to me 
where essentially it was like data entry from a they print out a spreadsheet and I had to re-enter the spreadsheet. This was like two hours of just data entry every day. It was like mind-numbingly boring, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So this might sound bad, but like I pride myself on being lazy and my laziness motivates me to find efficient ways of doing things. Sure. So figured out a way to like use some OC, uh, OCR software, which is like optical character reading, which y- you can pass it a picture and it, it can extract the text. Mm-hmm. So using that and learning to write what's to call like VBA, which is like programming for Microsoft Excel beyond the typical cell manipulation. You give it a picture and it just populates the table for you. Save myself a ton of hours. And I really kind of fell in love with programming at that point. Mm. That's 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 when the light bulb went off. And I was like, Julian, this is something you can do. So then I started looking there. I was like, this is kind of the kickoff point where I started to ex- explore the idea of maybe I can do something more meaningful or more or something that gives me more satisfaction. Then it was very easy at the time we just look up software engineering and boom, high salaries, this is that, like good job, good, good job opportunity, market is growing with like 30% a year. So it was very easy to find reasons to pursue the avenue even more. I see. So it wasn't as though you were just generally dissatisfied with your, with your current job or the energy sector and you were seeking out kind of any other job. It was specifically software engineering that piqued your interest. Yeah, it was, it was particularly software engineering. I'm a, I'm a kind of person like where I would be in a situation for a long time and only when I move out of it, then I do realize how bad it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are like that. And I, th- I think that's a good quality. Like it keeps you adaptive. Like you don't feel the struggle while you're in it, but you can reflect. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, you know, you've realized that software engineering is interesting and you've got some talent for it. What did you do next? So I just kept digging a little deeper in the VBA, like automating more things. Um, just started to do some research. So I contemplated. So I, I started learning German. German. Yeah. Like Germany offered some really interesting programs, um, like master's programs and like data engineering or like computer science. Interesting. So I was contemplating moving over to Germany. Then part of still, still in the research phase of my career exploration here, I came across these programs called boot camps and I just started looking and applied I applied for one in New York. Well, first I did some research, reached out to a couple of people who went through the programs and just had some conversations with them and then kind of like stalk their LinkedIn profiles and see how they transitioned. Mm-hmm. Was it just like marketing that they're doing really well or were these actually real people that are making transitions? And one thing led to another and I got enrolled with the program and I'm here today. Interesting. So you found a boot camp in New York. Yeah. Okay. And what was that called? This is called App Academy. APP Academy. Got it. And just for the listeners to give a little bit of context, could you kind of just give a short summary of what that boot camp was like? So I'll go back before exactly entering the boot camp because there was like a, a lot of pre-work mm-hmm. before you even got to enroll, which I found was int- which is one one reason this program kind of stood out to me. Like you had a lot more upfront entrance exam style of uh, admission. So they gave you like some resources to read, some books to read, and they would give you some projects to do. You have to have a certain grasp of the language. Um, it was Ruby at the time. Um, and then you do an entrance exam, you get through, 
And once once admitted to the program, so mind you, I was all in, still in training at, at this time doing all the pre-work. And then once I got accepted, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, hey, yo, I'm leaving next month. <laughs> I'll see ya. <laughs> She's like, what? Um, all right, then, I guess. So I just, luckily, my dad was over here, so I had a place to crash and whatnot. And that made it a lot more reasonable because uh, cost of living in New York. So this is where I actually att- attended in person. It was it was five days a week. Starts from like eight o'clock to like five o'clock, but it goes way beyond that. Mm-hmm. It was more realistically, it was like almost seven days a week. You putting about like twelve to twelve to fourteen hours every single day. Because like even though you finish your program, you have to there's assignments right after right after school. So like you have to finish it before the next day. And you get like demerits, right? So you have like three strikes and then you're out, <laughs> which is nerve wracking. So every week you have an exam and you, you feel three exams and bro, you, you're toast. So it was, it was very high stress. Another one interesting part of it too is like predominantly pair programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pair programming is just you write software or you solve a problem where two people are at the seat of a computer and you're just like, one is like, in instructing you what to do the other one is actually do, manipulating the computer with the mice and the keyboard to do the thing right okay and and overall how long was that program uh for me it was six months three months on theory about one month job preparation two months just applying for jobs so i say i say the last two months are still part of the program because i kept showing up to the office well not the office but the actual class um, using their resources to, you know, practice interviewing, whiteboarding. Yeah, but, but three months officially. Three months officially, but six months to like actually get the job. Yeah, that, at least that was my experience. I know some people like as soon as they graduated, they they got through. I mean, that's still pretty fast, you know, to be able to transition careers within within six months and and get like a, a pretty comfortable job. Was it difficult to find a job after the boot camp? Looking back now, no. Because three months isn't that long when you're switching careers. But in the moment when you're financially constrained, where you, you leave a, a place of economic security to come over here and dilly-dally for three months, it, it feels like a long time. Yeah. Especially when your peers are like getting a lot more interviews, moving a lot through different stages of interviews and just actually landing offers. Three months did feel like a very long time. But in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like when you are like officially in the marketplace, like after the bootcamp is done. So it's a weird experience because, you know, you were just peers with all these people yeah. and now you're competitors and there's 100% like a little bit of jealousy, oh, yeah. a little bit of like, oh man, like that guy got that job, but it's a really interesting dynamic. And and I think you're, you're totally right. Like three months in the grand scheme is really not that much time. And you look back at that and it's just a flash, right? Yeah. You don't even remember like the amount of time that you're spending, like sending out uh, resumes or, or doing the, the tech interviews or whatever. It's just like it goes it, it, it goes by really fast. Yeah. I remember some stories, too, where, as you mentioned, the duplicitous nature of like friend and foe immediately after graduation. Like some of my colleagues were cool on a certain level. But we both have the same interviews. Right. Like immediately you see the switch. So at some some groups would like share the questions. Others were just like very uh, restrictive and giving sometimes malicious misguidance. And I, you see these things and you, it, it kind of changes your perspective on. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
But at the same time, you know, the company is also, you know, they're trying to find the the best person as fast of as possible course. too. So sharing the job opening to all the bootcamp grads at the same time is like, is not a mistake, right? They, they, they do that intentionally. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad we agree. We shared the same experience uh, about <laughs> becoming competitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when you started that that first job as a software engineer like how did you feel about it you know you just transitioned careers you're you're now in new york city compared to where you were before in trinidad i guess could you just tell us a little bit about you know how you felt at that time yeah man and one thing i must say about app academy like it, it taught me a lot about self-promotion and, ma and marketing myself oh really so like my first job like man you like i needed a job and i was like Within the office stage, I was just like negotiating, like throwing out numbers and just like going back and forth with nothing, no leverage. So that was my first entrance into the market, like seeing how they respond to a job offer and the negotiation side of it. Then actually doing the job now, it was it was quite challenging, I would say, for the first couple of months. When you learn a job, you especially in software engineering, you learn like in three different layers. So there's like the, the business side of the application and well, the business. Then there's the actual like software for feature sets and then there's the infrastructure so like finding that separation between the three domains it was a bit jarring at first because everything is just code and just like you have to look at it and make, make it's a lot to take in it's a lot to take in yeah and it, it's very difficult because there's a lot that you don't know sure i mean you can only learn so much in three months so like you don't know if your questions are valid and you're new to a company and you're new to this team. You want to make sure that these people like know that you're competent to some degree. So like getting over imposter syndrome to ask these dumb questions was a big learning lesson for me. And I think once I ramped up to a point where I felt comfortable and taking on small items, the confidence and the knowledge just kind of grow. But I also had a very supportive team. Yeah. The company was doing very well. They hired a lot of uh, mentor type engineers where they would quicker sacrifice a delivery date for the benefit of the engineering organization to help someone be productive, mm -hmm. which is, well, at least now I'm seeing that to be a lot more uncommon, maybe the market dynamics and funding drying up, but it was an overall, uh, you can still find it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But it is like, you know, it's not the default for sure. Yeah. So can you just back up? What was the job that you got out of um, App Academy? Yeah. So I got through it easy cater, which my, my official title was like associate software engineering. And that was based in Boston. So uh, over there, we did primarily Ruby on Rails and uh, React. Mm -hmm. And this was just lined up perfectly with what we did in the bootcamp. Yeah. And, and spoiler alert for the listeners, that's actually my first job too. So that's where Julian and I met. Yeah. We met at easy cater. Um, both as associate, yeah, associate, associate engineers. Um, and it was a great time. It's also nice to have like somebody who is also like learning what it was like to be a developer in real time, like sitting literally next the desk next to me. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, do you feel like looking back at the bootcamp coming into EasyCater, did you feel like the bootcamp prepared you well enough for that first job? I think it, I think it did. Yeah, because it was heavily pair programming. It forced me to adapt to different communication styles. So every day you pair with someone different. Like I had to look at people from like Russia, from like Pakistan, from like all different countries, different cultures, mm. different age groups. So like I, I work with some people like younger than me, yeah. straight out of college, some people like extremely intelligent. 
like MIT grads and they just like get the content so quickly. And I'm sometimes the one ahead, sometimes I'm the sometimes one behind in terms of where the assignment is or where we are in terms of our um, capacity to, you know, code. And I think just having that sort of humbling experience to be able to communicate in different ways with different people really helped me adapt into the work environment where we had all different styles of communication as well. Okay, so so let's skip forward a little bit. And we're now in current day. Overall, how long have you been in tech now? I would say about like coming up to like six years. Six years? Officially, yeah. quote unquote, senior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's a uh, it's an industry where you can be senior pretty quickly. Yeah, I know. Six years. It's not a lot of time. Fresh grad senior. Yeah, and and what do you do for work now? So I work as a Python engineer. I still work with React, um, full stack. Uh, I work at a company called Breezeway. They're based in Boston. I mentioned that they operate in property management software, but it's a bit more layered to that. It's like automation software for people who manage short term rentals. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of look back at uh, now your time, six years in the tech industry um, and specifically software engineering, what's something that you really like about your job? What I like about this job is you can never stop learning. And that's a good and a bad thing. Like there's always so much to learn about the code that you write, how it impacts users, how it impacts the business, how it just impacts itself as, as like a, an application running on like a cloud service that costs money. And just, you can go so deep in one area. It's kind of fun for somebody who is intellectually curious. You get to dig as deep as you want. And sometimes digging as deep as you want does result in creating new uh, benefits for the company and for your team just because of your curiosity. Um, now, this is also bad too, because if you stop learning, you quickly become obsolete because mm -hmm. things change, um, security vulnerabilities happen, you have to update and... Yeah, like, you know, just interfaces change, technology changes all the time. Um, company wants to pivot, for example, chat GPT, AI stuff. Like that's just hype right now. But again, you have to ride the hype train because that's where the business wants to go. Yeah. I mean, it is certainly a really interesting profession to be an engineer, a software engineer, um, because as you said, you're rewarded for stimulating your own curiosity and learning things on your own. And I think there was some survey that that said like, 38% of software engineers feel like they're self-taught. And there's a lot of that where, you know, you go on your own and you learn something and then you deploy it or you execute it at work and that's encouraged and you're rewarded for it. And it's certainly like almost the opposite in many other industries where you're often just asked to do this one thing. Mm -hmm. And if you deviate from the one thing, you know, you're somehow ranked or rated lower and yeah. you are not preferred over somebody who does the one thing really well. Uh, but on the flip side, it is, a, it is a very fast moving industry, as you said, and it's tricky to stay on top of things. And like, you know, you know, part of it is you have to align your interests to like the things that will be relevant. But I think most engineers kind of do that naturally. And they're just generally interested in, in, in learning something new and that, and that benefits them in the end. Um, so what about the opposite side? What do you dislike about being a software engineer? I think that was that was part. also part of my dislike. Uh, <laughs> your your brain cannot really be off. <laughs> you just have to always be sort of thinking about where the industry is moving, especially now with all these layoffs and changing the job market a bit. To so just what can I do to stay relevant, and how can I apply that to my day to day? 
but, but that's like a good problem, I guess. This is common. This has been the status quo for so many other industries for like decades. Sure. Um, but what else do I dislike about the industry? I think the networking opportunities is also very limited, yeah. In what way? I think like the, especially being in an engineering department, depending on the size of the company too, let's say medium to small, and the problem probably gets worse as you go more enterprise. The people that you interact with is very limited. Very rarely you would interact with, with the sales department or like any people outside of the engineering department. So the conversations about, you know, the, where the industry is going, not just the industry, software engineering, but the industry of whatever business domain your company is operating in. That is also very limited unless you take the initiative to really put yourself out there. But it's very easy to be siloed. It's very much more the day-to-day problem rather than long-term strategic thinking as to where the company is going to be headed and how your input can make an impact. Uh, even within conferences, like, yeah, you go, you go, you get to meet other engineers, but outside of engineering, you might meet the one or two people that have this unique perspective or like, for example, one, one good thing about meeting people who are career switchers is that, for example, you and I, we have a lot of interesting conversations from coming from your architectural background and Mm-hmm. Like, I just learned so much from you. Uh, other people that I know who switch careers, like they bring with to them to the table a lot of perspective that enhances the conversation. Um, what else do I not like about software engineering? I think we got spoiled. <laughs> I think that's one thing that I like and dislike, but I think we definitely got spoiled. That's a, that's a bad thing that we got spoiled? It's like a bad thing and a good thing. It's a good thing that we got spoiled. It's a bad thing that we've become sort of adjusted our lifestyle, not necessarily lifestyle, so to say, but expectations around what a work environment should be. And as the market possibly corrects itself, being able to adjust backwards is a bit, not painful, but there is some friction to go back to the set to, I guess, regular industry. And maybe that would never really be regular, a regular industry, so like traditional. Yeah. But there might be some normalization. Well, I agree with that to a point. I, I mean, I think that if you were a CS grad and you were always in tech, you would be, in my opinion, you'd be spoiled, but unknowingly so. Yeah. <laughs> and for folks like us who have switched careers and have been in places where the environment or the industry are not, is not as generous and the uh, the work is more intense and, you know, a slew of other characteristics. Yeah, yeah. We are in the day-to-day of being a software engineer and like, wow, it's great. Like I, I appreciate how spoiled I am now. <laughs> and the last thing I would want is to go back, but I can, I can at least like knowingly look at the situation and say like, this is great. Now that's not to say that like, it would be easy to go backwards or that like, you know, I have some expectations now. But, you know, that is the sort of rewards that you get for working and choosing, right? Like being a a first person decision maker into the career job that you want. I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but like, what are are some of your dislikes from uh, software engineering? Like since you transitioned as well. Well, I I think you pointed to some interesting parts about being siloed uh, and maybe rightfully so. Like engineers are very much like in their own world. You know, they're, they're thinking very deeply. On, on complex and valuable problems. But I do observe that they're not always invited to the table for things that are like outside the scope of their problems. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm curious what the engineer has to say about some XYZ problem not related to engineering. Like, I, I don't see that that often. So there's that. But, you know, the list of dislikes is pretty short. As I said, like, there's so much to be thankful for. 
and, and I think, well, I guess this is not what you asked, but one of the things that I do really appreciate is like the exposure to all these other disciplines for myself, because I, I take a proactive measure to kind of step out of those sort of soft boundaries of like, oh, I'm in engineering. I stay in engineering. I try to go out and I try to talk with product people and I try to talk with salespeople and I want to like understand how, you know, customer service works. I want to understand like all parts of the business because it generally interests me, but you know, I come from a much more like top down mm -hmm. as an architect, you kind of, you have to have your toes in everything and you have to kind of know how everything at least a little bit works. And for me to be able to do my job as an engineer, it significantly helps that if I understand like what the whole business is doing. Mm -hmm. And so as I've sort of hopped around between like large companies and small companies, I found that, you know, really good companies have really good talent at all these different departments. And so it's been a real luxury to learn from all these different very talented, very bright folks and, and what they do day to day. Um, and it certainly have given me appreciation for like how complex a company is. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, once upon a time, I was like, oh yeah, I'll do my own startup and it would be easy. And it'll be like, oh, it's the next unicorn. It's no big deal. Right. But like these companies, they're so complicated or so dynamic it's really impressive what founders and teams have built over this time so it's not exactly the question that you asked what i disliked it's morphed into what i like but yeah there's not a ton that i dislike yeah same thing if, if, if i say i dislike something I'm, I'm really uh reaching yeah okay so you know you're looking back you know now you're an engineer and you look back at your time uh, in oil and in energy um, you know, how would you say your life is different, better or worse compared to before uh, changing careers? Switching careers, I don't see myself being here without switching careers. And I, when I say here, I mean in a place where I'm able to afford, you know, like things that I wouldn't have been able to. I have a lot more like freedom, a lot more time back, um, especially with work from home, no more commute, no more traffic. There's so much like quality of life improvements um, mentally and physically and just with within relationships. Um, I'm able to like being abroad. Well, USA is abroad for me, but being away from home, keeping in contact with family is something that is very easily lost when you have very limited time to engage in those relationships. And now I have a lot of time back where I can foster these relationships, like my mom, my sisters, just family and friends. So it definitely afforded me a lot more than I think I would have been able to have with a traditional nine to five. Yeah. I mean, I think you've hit one of those benefits of switching into at least engineering on the head, which is remote work. Oh, love it. And, and you have uh, really benefited because you recently moved, right? You're, you have a, a job that you used to live in Boston and the company is based in Boston, but where are you now? So I recently moved to, to Georgia. And I got myself a nice, uh, a nice farm. So I'm hoping, you know, I can use this extra time I just bragged about <laughs> to, to develop something, uh, ideally a small business doing local agriculture for many reasons. Like I always like agriculture. It's always, if I were to choose an ideal career, it would be a farmer. Yeah. Despite the hard work, but a farmer for myself. I always, always love growing things and being able to support me and my family with it's something that brings me a lot of joy. So farmer slash software engineer. <laughs> yeah, it is the future for Julian. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're close to wrapping up here. Uh, it's been a great conversation so far. You know, one of the things that I like to ask my guests is, you know, what would you tell somebody 
that was working at a job that they really disliked and has also been considering their own career changes? I think for one, it's very important to understand why you don't, why you dislike the job. Is it just your management? Is it the salary? Is it the nature of the work? Because sometimes you can change a job, but if it's management that you don't like, you can get bad managers anywhere that you go. Sure. You know, identifying the issue that causes you the most pain, I think is first and foremost, most important. Uh, it depends on a lot of things too. For example, like how many people do you have that depend on you for an income? Mm. Do you have a wife? Do you have a sick child? Like all those things sort of factor in. Sure. So now, for example, if someone is like 25, they don't like the job. Hell yeah, man, you're 20. Like try as much things as you could. Like go ahead. Long mm -hmm. winded answer to say, if you can afford it, hell yeah. Like life is basically too short to stick in a situation that makes you unhappy. Because when you're unhappy, you, you, it doesn't just affect you, it affects the people around you, it affects your quality of life, your mental health, your physical health, and all those things kind of compound, whether negatively or positively, into what you would encapsulate as your life. Yeah. You spend most of your time at work anyway, just like sleep, invest in a good mattress, invest in a good job. <laughs> I think that's going to be the title of the episode. Um, awesome. Julian, thank you. This has been a great conversation. Always nice talking to you. Yeah, same here, man. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, man. Always, always, always a pleasure talking to you. This is fun. That was my conversation with Julian Jurai, a former oil drilling engineer who made the leap to become a software developer. If Julian's journey has inspired you and you're eager to hear from more career switchers just like him, be sure to subscribe to the Career Switcher podcast. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and we'll see you in the next one.